In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In my first year of college, uh, through an internship that I had done the previous summer, I was invited to take place in a high school youth retreat, which was a real honor for me to be one of the plenary speakers at this retreat in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And um, I was really excited about it. And uh, to say the least, I had committed myself to really go for it and really outdo myself. And so after the sessions would end, people would come up to me and say, that was really powerful. And I would say, oh, well, praise the Lord. You know, that, yeah. and, uh, but as my ego grew and the weekend went on, a mother of one of the boys there that weekend came up to me and she said, I want you to know that uh, my son has really been moved by what you've, you've had to say. And I say, oh, no, please don't. You know, to, you know. And... Um, and, and I said, well, what has he said? And she quoted him as saying, well, Mom, I don't know what he's saying, but I really like how he's saying it. And I thought, rats. The ability to carry a message on the power of a personality or one's own, what they perceive to be their inherent authority, is a dangerous and often cruel thing. But what the Bible articulates, and what St. Paul reminds us of today, is that authority, real authority, is primarily rooted in the message, not in the messenger. In Paul's epistle, we find the apostle going to great lengths to remind the Galatians, I would have you know, brethren, That the gospel which was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This Galatian situation, this struggle in the church, unfortunately, is commonplace. Paul is dealing with an attack not from the secular world not from those outside of the faith who would tempt your children in their freshman religious studies class to disregard all that they had received as truth in their youth. But the attack comes from those who call themselves Christians. The attack comes from within the church. They were preaching a gospel which St. Paul says is no gospel at all. And if you encounter anybody that preaches such a false gospel, you should turn away in horror. They are anathema. They were those who would look at St. Paul's preaching and hear this message and say, well, that's Paul's opinion. That's Paul's opinion on Jesus. That's Paul's opinion on the gospel message. But this is a commonplace thing in the church. One 19th century preacher wrote that even in his day, it was not unusual to hear dubious persons profess to differ from the apostle and quote, even dare say, I do not agree with Paul. He said that, I remember the first time that I heard this expression. I looked at the individual with astonishment. I was amazed that such a pygmy as he should say this of the great apostle. Altogether, apart from Paul's inspiration, it seemed like a cheese mite differing from a cherub. 
or a handful of chaff discussing the verdict of the fire. The individual was so utterly beneath observation that I could not but marvel that his conceit should have been so outspokenly shameless. Notwithstanding this objection, even when supported by learned critics, we still agree with the inspired servant of God. It is our firm conviction that to differ from Paul's epistles is to differ from the Holy Ghost and to differ from the Lord Jesus Christ, whose mind Paul has fully expressed. The message that Paul is preaching is not the gospel according to Paul. It is not Paul's opinion. Paul has not received the gospel as a tradition, but it has been revealed to him. Paul had a direct encounter with the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, and there had the gospel message implanted into his heart. God intervened directly and personally in the life of Paul. And so too God intervenes in our lives directly and personally. But most of us probably do not share the same type of conversion that St. Paul had on that road to Damascus. We may be able to point to a book we read, a sermon we heard, a conversation with a friend that made Jesus real to you, and you took hold of the gospel message and your life was changed. But even in this, it is the Lord's doing. God may have used something earthly as a vehicle, but it was God himself, the Holy Spirit, who brought you into fellowship with him. Indeed, Paul himself was not a very good preacher. A division was created in the church in Corinth over a very gifted preacher named Apollos who followed Paul there. But Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, When I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You have not heard from this pulpit, I pray, the gospel according to Andrew or Frank or any of the other preachers on staff that we have here. What we pass on to you in our weakness and our fallibility is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, Savior of the world. If you are a believer today because of the ministry of the Advent, it is because the Holy Ghost has worked in your life. And we who stand before you are but unprofitable servants who have only done what is our duty. And what is our duty? To preach the person and work of Jesus Christ to you over and over again. Paul has written to the Galatians because on the one hand, they've been given the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died for them, and they've received it. And yet... In a short time, they've begun to turn their back on it, turning toward this other gospel that is not a gospel at all, a gospel that does not have the power to save, a gospel that does not have the power to change or transform. Paul's letter to the Galatians is a good reminder that we should never tire of the gospel message, 
nor should we ever think that we have grown beyond it. It is not milk, but it is the very meat of spiritual food. It's the main course. And even if someone has received Jesus Christ, if they know His saving power and grace, to hear the gospel message is a reapplication of that balm that is necessary to their broken heart so that they will receive it gladly again and again and again. Indeed, our propensity in our own nature is to not trust the gospel, to look for another way, to look for Jesus plus something. Luther reminds us that this matter of the gospel in our hearts is brittle, not in itself, for it is most sure and certain, but in respect to us within us. Luther said, I myself have experienced this, for I sometimes wrestle in hours of darkness. I know how I suddenly lose the beams of the gospel and grace. It is as though thick, dark clouds obscured them from me. So I know about the slippery place in which we stand, even if we are experienced and seem to be sure-footed in matters of faith. We are experienced in this matter, for we are able to teach it to others, and this is a sure sign that we understand it. But when in the midst of battle we should avail ourselves of the gospel, that is the word of grace, consolation, and life, at that moment the law, the word of wrath, heaviness and death come in front of the gospel and begin to rage. This terrorizes the conscience just as much as on Mount Sinai. Even one passage of Scripture containing some threat of the law overwhelms and drowns all other consolations and so shakes our inner powers that it makes us forget grace and the gospel, Jesus Christ, and justification. Therefore, in respect to us, this is a very brittle matter because we are brittle. Why is St. Paul so emphatic in his argument? For the same reason we preach the way that we do here at the Advent. The gospel and its preaching is serious business. Now some of you know that there is a plaque right here that reads from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And it is the habit of many preachers, it's a little bit of a nervous habit, to come up here and sort of run your finger along the engraving. But every week, if you're the preacher, the dean reminds us, somewhat jokingly, but we know seriously, now don't go up there rubbing your dirty hands on that plaque if you're not ready to go. (laughs) And what he means is that every time a preacher climbs into this pulpit, the message that he or she preaches has real consequences. Will the preacher hold out to you the eternal word? Will they tell you of the mercy and saving grace of Jesus Christ? Will they give you the right diagnosis of the shape we're in? But the mightiness and gracefulness of the Savior, will they give you good news? Or will they simply give you Good advice. Another gospel. Well, one message has the power to save and transform. The other will leave you to your own devices and drive you deeper into despair as you are left to yourself. And so this morning, 
I proclaim to you Jesus of Nazareth, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.